When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, fellow conspiracy realists, have you ever thought about this? Have things ever seemed a little too purposeful, a little too organized in your day-to-day life? What if everything you encounter, all your interactions, are somehow part of a larger orchestrated scheme or plan. Whoa, we're all inside episodes of The Simpsons. More stuff they don't want you to know, which is more terrifying. I'll let you be the judge. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul the... Paul the Predictor Deccant? Okay, we got a shrug. We're joined with Paul the Predictor Deccant. Most importantly, you are you and you are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We predict you will find this episode fascinating. Oh yeah, we can already tell this is going to be your favorite episode that's come out in a long time. We've already read some of your emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for those. It's really kind what you said about this episode. Mm-hmm. We and um, you know we look forward to your next ones. Right, uh, both represented in fiction and in real life. I don't know if we can continue this this trope for the whole show, man. No, what no. do you think? No, we're just being silly. <laughs> we're just we're just having a goof. Mm-hmm. Do people still say that having a goof? Of course. Great, because if not, we're bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Uh, This episode is about somewhat of a meta-conspiracy, a conspiracy about conspiracies, for lack of a better term, or a technique that is attributed to a lot of specific theories. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, there's a very strong basis in truth in this, which I think surprised both of us. 
There is a little bit of truth in a way, but it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's so prevalent, this, what we're speaking about today. Sure. And let's just say what it is. A predictive programming. And it's so prevalent on the internet. When anything occurs, Mm -hmm. there is so much media that exists and so many things happening Mm -hmm. that when you find the little connective tissues – there's always that eureka moment, and it just happens all the time now. Maybe, yeah, maybe we get into this too with an anecdote. Several years ago, you and I made a video about the Illuminati card game. Yes, right? yes. And in the Illuminati card game, uh, there are there are certain cards that people who believe in predictive programming have pointed to as evidence of this practice. Uh, I think specifically the Twin Towers. Is that correct? The Twin Towers was one about a terrorist attack. There were so many though. Deepwater Horizon from Mm -hmm. 2010 was one. And again, in that video, I guess, do we want to spoil any of that right now about kind of what we found out about the card game? Yeah, oh, yeah, go ahead, lay it out. Okay. So there have been so many versions of that card game over the years. The cards have shifted and changed a little bit. The artwork has been altered. Mm-hmm. Exactly what's stated on the cards has been altered. And then when you're online and you have people posting images about, you know, here, look at this card from this game that came out in 90-something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it predicted the World Trade Center because of this card when in actuality that card – was referring to the original World Trade Center bombing, which occurred in the 90s. Right. And then, and or it was changed now because of other, you know, circumstances, things that actually occurred in the real world after it was put out. It's just interesting how things shift over time. And when it's posted on the internet, Mm -hmm. it could be from any time throughout the span of the card's history. Oh, we should also point out, that it's a fun game. It is a really fun game. I, I was so happy because you introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to owe you for that one. Also, I was thinking, should we play that game with uh, with with you, friends and neighbors, if we ever run into each other in real life? Or, Matt, should you and Paul and Noel and I make a game of our own? We could. We should make a game of our own. We could S- live stream it. Stuff they don't want you to play. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll put a pin in that. Okay. <clears throat> but but yeah, so that's a that's a great example of an allegation of predictive programming. Mm-hmm. Here's what we mean specifically when we say there's a basis in truth. In decades past, the US government would assemble groups of people to help them predict the direction of future technological breakthroughs. And they consulted scientists and technocrats, but they also asked science fiction writers to join in this think tankery. And several of these writers, it turns out, had already successfully predicted the broad strokes of a certain aspect of technological progress or social changes, and they had depicted these events in works of fiction. Yeah, and for a lot of people, this is just, it speaks to the human imagination. Mm-hmm. What, can, what images and ideas can we conjure in our heads before it becomes reality? And... Um, it's really – honestly, it's it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And our species' ability to dream beyond the limits of this moment, of what's occurring right now, and things that I can possibly do today to what I could do in the future because of X. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredible. That's what separates us. Well, there are a lot of things that separate us, but that's one of the major things that separates us from other mammals. You're giving me chills. That is inspiring, especially the way you put it there. It is. It is one of the primary separations. But it's not all like uh, angel farts and trumpets in the sky. You know, there there's a dark side that people see here. Because for others, this story of sci-fi collaboration is only scratching the surface. It's a relatively benign example of a much more widespread and, according to them, sinister practice. Fringe researchers across the U.S. and the globe believe that nefarious, hidden groups are guiding the public through the use of this predictive programming. So let's look at the facts. When we look at the idea of fiction – whether an Illuminati game or a film depicting actual events in the future, we see two fundamental factors at play immediately. Yeah, the, the first is what the creators are trying to do. It's, it's not a secret that people who write screenplays and write books, uh, directors of television and movie, they often are d- attempting to depict what they think the future is going to look like, what might happen in the future. If you think about um, 1984, mm-hmm. the, the novel, or Brave New World, these are two cautionary tales, very different from each other, and also quite similar. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're meant to educate as much as they're meant to warn and entertain. They, they function on a whole lot of levels. Yeah, yeah. 1984 is one of those books that even after having read it multiple times, I still don't know if I would say I'm entertained by it. You know what I mean? Sure. It definitely airs more on the cautionary tale side, but you're you're absolutely right. I think that's such a great point. These authors and these creators are not working in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. They are attempting to enact some sort of change in the world, whether it's just – making the world one story better or one Mm. story richer or whatever we want to say about it. Or as in the case of A Brave brave New World, it's the question of doth thou entertain too much? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And these authors could also depict something more aspirational like what the future of humanity could be if we ever, you know, get our collective business together. You're talking about Star Trek? I'm talking about Star Trek, Matt. Mm, Man. (laughs) Star Trek TNG was the thing that like made me go, okay, we're going to be okay. The future is going to be an amazing place. I can't <laughs> wait to get there. Right. It's a, uh, it's a post-scarcity economy, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's not income inequality and the species spends its time exploring strange new worlds and attempting to enrich – their knowledge of the galaxy and the beautiful universe in which we live. Also having more or less constant war or uneasy truces with various alien empires, probably a story for a different episode. But yeah, Star Trek, aspirational. Imagine what we could be. Exactly. And then you could even have a holodeck. I mean, come on. <laughs> Is that what, that's what it was for you? A holodeck? No, no, it was, it was the – the big picture stuff. I hated the holodeck episodes. Yeah, it always, I always felt like I was getting tricked. I felt, you know, this is just my opinion, one person's opinion, and I, I would love to hear everybody else's opinion on this. I fe- it felt as if the actors were pushing this on the writers and the producers and saying, well, you know, I've 
I've done some Shakespeare before. <laughs> You're talking specifically about El Capitan, right? I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know who it was. I, I feel like I, I have suspicions, but I can't pin it on any single actor. Okay. And maybe it was just, maybe it just felt like a bait and switch. Well, yeah, it's a, I think it's a writing device that the people in the writer's room can go, wow, we've been stuck on this enterprise for a long time in all these episodes. Let's, let's do a Western. Yeah, it could be that. It could also be something as, you know, these are big machines. Every television show is a huge machine of its mm-hmm. own. So it could have been something behind the scenes where they said, okay, look, we have this leftover set for a show that didn't get used. Uh, we have to use it. And sorry, Star Trek TNG, you drew the short straw this time. So writer's yeah. room, chop, chop, uh, Something something with the holodeck. Or maybe this set's about to get torn down. Hey, writers, let's find a way to use it quick. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have spent a lot of time thinking about, <laughs> thinking about this. I, you know, I bet someone out there has, a, has the, the real scoop, the street poop, as we might say, yeah. on, on the, uh, the origin of those holodeck episodes. But there is another thing that comes into play when we consider this idea of fiction – purposefully predicting actual events in the future, usually bad ones. And that is the dangerous, deceptive traits of the human mind. Yeah, it's not just the people creating the fiction and the entertainment. It's the people who are consuming it, actively watching and hearing it. Right, and there's this assumption that is so prevalent in the past and today that goes like this. Someone watching a film or reading a book even, to a lesser degree, is passively experiencing the vision or the creation that the author made or the director made or whomever. But in actuality, all audience members are collaborators, whether it's a a piece of art like a sculpture, whether it's Mm -hmm. a television show, whether it's a book, we are helping to create the story by the mere act of observing and interpreting it. What what this all means is that people are really self-obsessed, pathologically. And don't beat yourself up if you feel like this is an unfair characterization or if you feel bad and you think, oh, I'm a little bit narcissistic because everybody is. Everybody is. And we're all the main characters of our own stories, the center of our individual universes, the protagonist around which this great world swings. In addition to this, we are also fantastically talented analyzers and pattern recognizers. It's one of the reasons our species runs so much of the planet rather than, say, an octopus race or a uh, a super intelligent empire of corvids, you know? I want to see those. I would be super in. The crows that run the world. <laughs> caca. <laughs> I, I don't know why. That's supposed to be a caca in the distance. Oh, yeah. No, it worked. I, I, I heard it. Are we predictively programming the, the Corvid? The rise of the Corvids? <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is, this is dangerous because with this perspective, right, as a starting point, we can make two assumptions. We will say a pattern exists because we perceive it to exist. And because we are the most important thing in our experience, every pattern we perceive inherently in some way applies to us. Hmm. 
One thing that people don't like to hear in general is that there's something big going on and it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's why so much scientific literature became so controversial. Charles Darwin, uh, when he releases the origin on the origin of species in 1859, he's saying, oh, no, humans, you're not special. You're just you're, – you're part of a thing. We're part of a pattern. Part of a pattern that has existed <laughs> long before you and will continue long after you are dust. Yeah, and then you're like, yeah, whatever, Darwin, get out of here. <laughs> right. Go, go back to looking at islands. <laughs> yeah, get back on the <laughs> beagle. But th- that's, the, that's the problem. And without delving too far into the weeds on this, it essentially means that you and I and Paul and everyone, we're, we are neither neutral creators nor are we a neutral audience. And we're at an impasse. Because if no one's objective, then where's the truth? Ooh. Ultimately. Oh, man. This sounds like an even bigger episode. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'll bite. What's going on? Just talking about the nature of truth. We touch on it every once in a while when we get into discussing sources of news. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you really think about it this way from from that deep of a psychological perspective – Ooh, it makes the mind wander a bit. Yes. And we know that this pattern recognition can also be used to make the mind wander because we're, in addition to being um, endearingly self-obsessed, we are also uh, big fans of following rituals and cues and social mores. Mm-hmm. There more patterns to recognize, and we're easily swayed by subtle changes in routine or form. Uh, there's, a great, there's a great book called The Illuminatus Trilogy, which I think we've talked about before. And I just want to put this in because it's one reference to this kind of social hacking. That's where the Illuminati game finds its origins, by the way. Oh, yeah. No way. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. So this novel, which is incredibly, incredibly long, presented as, as a trilogy of smaller works, it depicts uh, a number of things in a rather convoluted plot, and we don't want to spoil it for you, but there is one scene in there where someone changes or adds to the signs at this department store, a relatively high-end department store that has something like, you know, the, the kind of thing you would read outside of a fitting room, like wait for an attendant to help you or something. Mm-hmm. The addition they make is they just put no spitting. Oh, Okay. So, well, I mean, nobody wants to do that anyway. Nobody's no going to spit. No one should be. But the hack about it, the the subtle change in that form, makes people think this is a place of a much lower socioeconomic class. This is a place where people are just spitting on the floor, you know, yeah. like a roadhouse in a movie. Oh wow! This was a work of fiction, but this kind of stuff can work and can work really well. This also goes into the nature of propaganda. But the question is, how, how far does this sort of stuff go? Could some groups or groups really be normalizing future events through the lens of mass media and fiction? And if so, why? Yeah, why? We're going to talk about that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? 
Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Here's where it gets crazy. Alan Watt described predictive programming as a subtle form of psychological conditioning provided by the media to acquaint the public with planned societal changes to be implemented by our leaders. If and when these changes are put through, the public will already be familiarized with them and will accept them as natural progressions, thus lessening possible public resistance and commotion. When I when I hear the words of Alan Watt, I always feel that there is truth there. It just sounds like there is. Again, it's about how he writes mm-hmm. uh, and how he how he how he spoke. But uh, what I'm hearing here is something that I've heard for a long time about the concept of aliens and the concept that. Th- Movies and television and novels for decades and decades have been prepping humans to to accept that aliens have invaded mm-hmm. or to accept alien races from other planets, extraterrestrials, to being a part of our world. And, um, and again, when you put it in that way, our leaders subtly psychologically conditioning us um, – I don't know. It almost sounds like it could be real. Yeah, you think so? I I, I love that. It bring- sounds like it because of the way he writes. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I think you're bringing up a, a really crucial point here. One of the primary examples of predictive programming that the advocates of this belief point out 
is almost always going to be extraterrestrial stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like a slow decade-long preparation for disclosure. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, Spielberg was right. Aliens are around. We thought the best way to tell you, instead of just ripping the mandate off, we, we thought we would tell you over, over like 60 years. Get used to it. Get, you know, settle in. Settle into this tub of weirdness slowly. Well, yeah, that way the reaction is, um, you know, less... Oh, my God! Oh! And it's more like, oh, wow, cool. I think, I think that's the whole point, if you believe this to be true. And there are millions of people waiting to go, I knew it. Yes. <laughs> I knew it the whole time. So what are some other examples of this? Oh, there are so stinking many of these. Okay, let's start with the top one. Uh, this one, Ben, you put in the outline first, but this is the one that I thought about when we even said the phrase predictive programming. Mm. And it's the pilot episode of The Lone Gunman, which, you know, if you were an X-Files fan, you know who The Lone Gunman are. You watched The Lone Gunman when it came out as a spinoff, and it was awesome. Uh, (laughs) But in the pilot episode, it features as part of the plot an an attempted – uh, bombing or destruction, at least, of the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers. And specifically, it was a hijacked commercial airliner that would be flown into the World Trade Center. And it was a false flag attack by, you know, this rogue group of government officials. And, you know, since that came out before the September 11, 2001 attacks, this is looked at as, whoa, these guys knew something. Right. They they put it out there. They're trying to warn us that this was going to happen. And a lot of the speaking about it early, early on when it occurred was it was a warning rather than a um, a predictive programming getting you used to it. It was like somebody's trying to tell us that this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, as you said, an incredibly prevalent example. It mm-hmm. gets brought up continually. But it's not the only example, right? Oh, no. There was one uh, that we found referencing the film The Dark Knight Rises by Christopher Nolan. There's a map in The Dark Knight Rises that has a location marked Sandy Hook. Yes. Commissioner Gordon's going over the attack plan uh, for, you know, going in. It's it's the scene right before they actually go into the um, the stadium. Mm-hmm. For one of the big climactic scenes there. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert for The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but yeah, there's a map and it does say Sandy Hook on it. So that one's not near as persuasive though because Sandy Hook is a place. Yes. Yes. Uh, the reason why it's weird is because it says Strike Zone 1 and it came, you know, usually what this has to do with are release dates. We have proximity of release dates mm-hmm. being before – you know, in let's say some given time frame, a year or two, or even months sometimes. Yeah. Again, that's the nature of the perception. Yes. Right? We found the pattern. And another example would be Family Guy. You know, Family Guy is replete with cutaway jokes Mm -hmm. and and tangents that don't really go anywhere. It's just a a quick bit. Uh, But – there's an episode or a, a, a gag in the Family Guy episode, rather, that concerns the Boston Marathon. Yeah, it's an episode called Turban Cowboy. 
that uh, that came out. And there's a scene in it, or let's let's say a scene, a breakaway, a cutaway sure. to a quick thing where Peter Griffin wins the Boston Marathon by driving his car through all of the other competitors and kills a whole bunch of people. Mm. And then later on in the episode, you might know this just from the – or you might glean it from the title, Turban Cowboy – uh, Peter accidentally joins up with a terrorist cell and he uses a cell phone to call his buddy Mahmoud and ends up setting off two bombs because of he's using the cell phone or whatever. You can also tell that Family Guy has an ongoing tendency to be pretty racist. Racist and, uh, you know, yeah, they at least push the boundaries. Let's say they push the boundaries creatively there. Right, right. And – this this example, of course, makes people who believe in predictive programming think they were somehow depicting the later disasters that would happen at the Boston Marathon. Yes. Uh, there's another example with the movie Knowing, right? That uh, yeah. <laughs> that you you had mentioned the Deepwater Horizon catastrophe mm-hmm. at the top of the episode. Knowing has something to do with this. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, if you have not seen Knowing, it's a 2009 Nick Cage movie, and it's all based on predictive programming, essentially, or a different version of predictive programming, um, numbers and codes hidden amongst things that mean other things and predict the future. Um, in in that movie, right in the opening scene, Nicolas Cage is watching television, and on the news comes this image and a news story about an oil rig that's on fire in the Gulf of Mexico. And again, this is a 2009 movie. Mm-hmm. A year later, the Deepwater Horizon disaster occurs where an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico explodes and I think 11 people were missing immediately when it occurred. And if you were watching television at the time, immediately when the news footage came out, it looks crazy similar to the footage that's shown in the movie Knowing that you might have seen. Okay. So th- this footage, mm-hmm. is is, ju- is it a crucial part of the film or is it something that just happens in the film? It's something that happens within the first few moments and it's literally a television that's being shown. You know, the camera is shooting a television showing the news. So it's not a massive thing. It's just giving you kind of current events, yeah. setting up the story. You That's could, all it is. You could understand. I could totally understand, though, how somebody would be would see that in theaters and then see the evening news later if they caught a matinee or something like that. That's disturbing. Well, yeah, yeah your your perspective is now Nicolas Cage's sitting on the couch or whatever, watching the television that you watched Nick Cage watch in the movie. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I could you know I could see where that would be at least creepy to people. You yeah, know? absolutely. Oh, but the the you know we talked about Family Guy, mm-hmm. but the granddaddy of Family Guy, The Simpsons, mm-hmm. uh, they have an incredible track record of predicting various future events and trends and things like this. And honestly, it could be a whole episode of just hey, what did the how did the Simpsons know that? Oh boy, yeah. And there's one that uh, you had brought up off air before too. Oh yeah, this is this is a great one. Uh, you'll find this all over the internet. Mostly on Facebook is where I've seen it and a couple other blog sites have reposted it. But it's the the Donald Trump presidency. 
there's so okay on june 16th 2015 donald trump announced that he was going to run for president and you remember the the whole deal coming down the escalator waving to people um there are people on the balcony with signs Mm -hmm. well according to numerous posts in the year 2000 the simpsons made this episode which is true they made an episode called bart bart to the future And according to these posts, not only did they predict the Trump presidency, they also predicted the exact way in which his campaign would be announced. Again, everything from the people standing on the balconies with signs to uh, Donald Trump going down the escalator. It's uncanny. It's insane. It's the exact same sequence. Hmm. Here's the problem. And you'll notice this if you you actually watch a clip from the supposed Simpsons video. Mm Mm-hmm. The animation quality is very high and you imagine the animation quality, you know, let's say 15 years later at least. So like to 2015 compared to 2000. Sure. It changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and then you do a little digging and then you realize all of these posts are actually being taken from a July 2015 promotion of the next Simpsons season which specifically, um, it's a video that was posted to the YouTube channel Anim- Animation on Fox. Uh, it was July 7th, 2015 when it was posted, and it's called Trumptastic Voyage Season 25, The Simpsons. And what it is is a perfect recreation of the event rather than a prediction of the announcement of what was going to happen. But the really interesting thing is if you go back to the 2000 episode, mm-hmm. the Bart to the Future, there are they do speak directly to uh, Trump being president, but it's just an aside. I think it's Maggie who says this. Be- oh, God, there's so much to explain here, but it's in the future. It's like a vision of the future uh-huh. within the world of The Simpsons. And in this vision of the future, I want to say it's Maggie, the you know baby, but now grown up, who mentions something about the, dis- the some something about how horrible the Trump. Uh, legacy was so they're trying to fix like all the budget or something that's it's like a throwaway line essentially but as a joke of trump was president so this actual this actually happened yes. before the trump presidency but people have been conflating this with the later recreation of the campaign announcement oh yeah because it would be much more compelling if this was actually what happened mm-hmm. And this is just naming a few of these. Oh, my God, yeah. There's so many. There's so, so many. And our first immediate questions are, are pretty easy, right? Mm-hmm. How is this different from a single creative team proposing or depicting a social change they think should happen? You know, if uh, like the Star Trek example. Or let's say that the creators of The Simpsons really thought – you know, the world will be a better place and the best way to get it there is for us to push the the greatness of a Donald Trump presidency, right? That – like how is it different? In this case, in the Simpsons case, they're implying that it was a bad thing for it to happen, right? Yeah, it was a joke. It was – and it was a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like it's kind of a throwaway joke. Yeah, it's what it – you know, sort of felt like. But yeah. Uh, and then – the other question is, how are these events different from, you know, an accident? Yeah. I know I know. as pattern seekers and master analysts all, 
We're, we're not big fans of the idea of something being an accident or a coincidence or just happening without a real purpose behind it. First things first, from a psychological angle, there's a problem with this idea of predictive programming mm -hmm. because we tend to model our behavior based less on an object or an event and more on a character's reaction to that object or event. There's a great experiment called Bobo Doll, the Bobo Doll experiments. Okay. Uh, in this – Is Bobo a clown? Bobo is a clown. Oh. He's an inflatable clown, like I'm a punching gonna, bag clown. I'm going to leave. All right. <clears throat> I can't hear this. Do you want me to wave when, when we're at past this part? Yeah. You come back in? Okay. okay. No, stay, stay. All right, please. I'll stay. Right. Fine. Uh, the psychologist Albert Bandura conducted an experiment, a series of studies using an inflatable punching bag clown called the Bobo doll. And they got two groups of children. In one group, each kid was shown a short film of an adult hitting the doll, just smacking the grease paint off it. In the other group, the adult in the film ignored the doll. And after watching whichever film they were assigned to, each kid was put in a room with a variety of toys, including a Bobo doll. The children who had been shown the aggressive video overwhelmingly mimicked the adult and beat the snot out of the doll, while the other kids just ignored it, because that's what you're supposed to do. Wow. So this means that if we see, if we see something depicting a future event, allegedly, what we're really paying attention to psychologically is going to be how the characters with whom we identify react to it. It's not, it's not going to be a World Trade Center attack. It's not going to be the Boston Marathon. It's going to be how did the lone gunman react to this? How did, how did Peter Griffin react to this? You know what I mean? Hmm. And it sounds like a small difference but it becomes increasingly clear. This is strange because the primary plank of predictive programming as a theory is the idea that if we see something in real life that we saw depicted in fiction, we're going to have less of a reaction, right? We're going to have resigned indifference a ha or one quote, uh, a half-hearted protest, if we see something in real life that was predicted? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we say, oh, the, uh, the CDC in Atlanta blew up, but we saw several movies about that earlier. So, you know, whatevs. Okay. That's the idea. But what we see from the science behind this is that the idea that just portraying something will elicit the same reaction regardless of context is incorrect. There has to be a context to the pattern, to the action that we are observing. So the doll itself, the object or the event, is not inherently uh, going to be one thing or the other. It's going to be how people react to it. Someone hitting the doll, someone ignoring the doll. That's what people are modeling. Hmm. Okay, now I'm going back and applying this to all this stuff, including the, the Trump presidency. Oh, man, okay. I'm going to reevaluate all that now. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so there's another thing we haven't even we haven't even discussed yet, mm. which is that this type of prediction 
in some form of mass media does really occur. It, it can occur and it's an accident, completely an accident. Consider the eerily prescient story that uh, you had mentioned before. We've talked about on the show before that Edgar Allan Poe had this vision of survival cannibalism on a boat. Yes, the only novel he published, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket in 1838. Oh yeah, this is this is a a baffling coincidence and even if you consider yourself a very very skeptical person, you have to admit it boggles the mind. I think this might be the best example that I've ever heard. So, partway through the book, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, the crew of a ship called Grampus, mm-hmm. like Krampus but with a G, finds themselves on a damaged boat and they have no food and they have no water. They manage to catch a tortoise and eat that, but eventually, to survive, they resort to cannibalism. They draw straws to figure out which one of them will be sacrificed to feed everyone else. The death straw goes to a guy named Richard Parker, who's promptly stabbed. His head, his hands, and his feet are thrown overboard, and this keeps the rest of the crew alive a little bit longer, but the the last two members are still on the brink of death when they're finally rescued. Poe himself thought it was a really silly story. Quote, very silly, if we're being accurate. Very silly. Those are his words. Until, that is, in 1884, in real life, when a yacht named the Mignonette left England headed toward Australia. The four-man crew barely escaped in a lifeboat, but they didn't have enough food to eat. They didn't have enough water to drink. They did catch a turtle, and they ate it. But... Just like the people in the story by Poe, which is 45 years old at that point, they resorted to cannibalism, specifically of a 17-year-old named Richard Parker. Isn't that insane? That is that is the – honestly, the craziest version of something like this that I think has ever occurred. Yeah. I'm at a loss for words still thinking <laughs> about it, you know. I mean, it's it's so crazy, and it really does make you reevaluate the Life of Pi movie with right. Richard Richard Parker. The yeah, the name of the tiger. Yep. So <laughs> this this is a really weird thing too because it's not spot on, and are we also just seeing what we want to see? You know, that is the question. And there's an elephant in the room, right? Oh, there's a big elephant in the room. And we'll talk about it right after a quick word from our sponsor. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Uh, all right, here we go, finally. And kudos to us, Matt. We got so far without acknowledging this. We did. Yeah, we played the reindeer games. We said if this is <laughs> if this is so, this is what would happen. These are things we consider from a couple mm-hmm. of different angles. But the big the big concern here, the as you said, the elephant, is that this seems in every single case like a very, 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 very complicated plan. Yes. And the the motivations for the machinations aren't there for me. And and the uh, how much work you'd have to put in to get the Simpsons to predict something so that you would be, as the public, that we would be okay with something in the future baffles my mind. That some screenwriter who wrote the pilot for <laughs> for this TV show, the spinoff of the X-Files, knew that there was this plan that was going to be enacted several years or a year from then, two years, whatever. It, why? Why? How much planning would have to go into that? Right. How much planning would have to go into it publicly, much less how much planning would have to go into it for it to occur in secret? Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's easily hundreds of people. Because you're talking about getting people to approve a script. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just that alone, that process is not an easy one. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, it just – it takes almost double think on, on yeah. the part of us to believe in this because if we walk through it, it requires us to believe that not only is a work of fiction being made with knowledge of future events, certain knowledge, that they have certitude about this, but also that the creators of the work are either in cooperation with some shadowy cabal or they're members of some shadowy cabal that has vast near omniscient control over events in the real world but is still saying, you know what, guys? We should also make movies. Yeah. And all of these people are also okay with these terrible tragedies that occur. Right. 
This would mean that if it were true, someone knew catastrophes like 9-11 were going to happen, and additionally, rather than preventing the disaster, they had enough time to make a high-production-level story about something completely different, ultimately for the sole purpose of including a passing reference to a real-life event in the story. That seems like a massive amount of work for a relatively small return. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it, man. I don't. I think in order to believe this fully, you have to really have gone down the rabbit hole of believing that every person that's an elite of any sort is working together for some bigger mass conspiracy. And, you know, we have found over the course of our time digging into all sorts of strange stuff on this show, we have found that it's a lot less likely that one group actually rules the world. It's a lot more likely that there are several groups who are all vastly entitled and above the law, who feel like they should run the world. Yeah. And they don't get along. Well, and I wonder if if you do subscribe to this theory, you maybe even as a conspiracy realist, as we all are mm-hmm. uh, in this, who can hear this voice right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe you imagine that these are groups working, you know, against each other with their predictive programming efforts. Ah, I like that spin there. I like that angle because it would also help at least to float the the inevitable problem of different predictions occurring, mm-hmm. right? That's really smart. There's also there's another wrinkle in here which is kind of a con. Propaganda works best when it's simplified. Mhm. I mean there's no denying that fiction is incredibly powerful. And even today, books and films are banned by governments around the world. And also, propaganda is produced by governments around the world or by think tanks or agencies, uh, people with some sort of agenda, whether they are fervent nationalists, whether they are racial supremacists of some sort. They're, They're out there and they want to have a story where their agenda or their goal is presented as the right thing, the best thing. And I know I'm mentioning uh, I, I know I'm I'm mentioning groups like nationalists and supremacists, but that's barely the surface. It's like everybody. Yeah. It's like people who um you, you know, it's cause agnostic. It's a technique that does not fall under the purview of any one particular group of people that you might think of as evil or they might think of as good. The people who want to save coral reefs are absolutely capable of doing the same kind of things that you would see from another propaganda entity. Yeah. I happen to believe that they have truth on their side, but that's just me. <laughs> you believe in the coral reefs. Yeah, I think they're real. I think it checks out. <laughs> well, some of them are not real. I was just learning about some of, I think it's the Georgia coast, NPR was talking about this, mm. where there are fake coral reefs. Artificial reefs. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. fascinating stuff made out of rubble. But they're still r- real. Like they, they are. Exist. They're not coral, though. They're reefs. They're not coral. That's, that's a, all. That's a very good point, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for, for bringing that Bringing that to light, finally, it's what Big Coral doesn't want you to know. Seriously. Oh, man. Rebar and concrete, it'll do just wonders for fish. It needed to be said. <laughs> Thank you. No problem, dude. Just while we're still in oceanic realms, Ben, mm-hmm. my father called me panicked the other day about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. 
And mm-hmm. I think he honestly hadn't ever heard of it before. And, you know, this is something that maybe you listening to this have heard about it before. Mm-hmm. It is a massively troubling thing that is happening, a, a huge amount of plastic and other garbage that's just there. I feel like we need to do some kind of episode on it because mm-hmm. my dad was genuinely terrified and felt like the world was ending because of this. Well, it's certainly not a good thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I think imagining it and um, seeing some of the imagery that the news mm-hmm. was putting out about it was was fear-inducing. And I think it's worth us discussing maybe in the future about what, what could happen. Sure, yeah. We can also talk about uh, whether recycling actually helps. That's great. Because a lot of people, in the West at least, are – I don't know, are doing a ritual where you put some trash in a blue box and you tell yourself that you're making a difference. And, you know, I think that's a sincere thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We recycle here at the office. But in a lot of places, when people come around to collect the garbage, the things from those two boxes go in the same dumpster. Yep. So, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) I I, I don't want to make a huge sweeping statement about it, but it, but it's true. That does happen. Uh, so yeah, let us know what we should examine when it comes to recycling, when it comes to the great garbage patch. We did do an episode on ocean acidification. We did. Yeah. And you know... That's scary. Yeah, that's really scary. But, and why aren't we using the whole, the, the plasma methods of breaking down trash, turning it into slag and usable... Uh, gases. Yeah, you told me about that. Years ago, they had the technology in Japan, right? Dude, they've been doing this for decades in Japan and a couple other places. Just turning their their trash into energy and usable building materials. Why aren't we doing this, guys? (laughs) Wow, that was a massive tangent. Okay, let's get back to this really fast. Or are we predictively programming the audience? Oh, is that what this is? Is that what this whole thing was? Paul, were you in on this? Oh, my God. Oh, Matt, my God. I figured the best way for you to learn this would be on the air with uh, with no prep. You made me a part of this. <laughs> oh, my God. It's too late now. <laughs> R- pretty soon we're going to have uh, George Soros, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and uh, – I don't know who else. Oprah, Alice Cooper, they're all going to walk in and do a slow clap. The Bezos? Maybe. Maybe. He's a fearsome beast, though. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. We don't have any uh, celebrity Illuminati that that are coming by. Mm -hmm. Although today, as we recorded this, uh, Davi Diggs did drop by to appear on a show our pal Chuck does called Movie Crush. So do check that out. It was awesome. Did you like that organic Segway and, and perfection. There we ben. go. Ah, oh, thanks. You know they sometimes call me the uh, the Matt Frederick of uh, smooth plugs. <laughs> it's a it's a tremendous compliment. One I don't deserve. But well, if, you know yeah. if you're if you're thinking to yourself, what did I miss? And you want to you know send us something. <laughs> uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about today, have you noticed a a different version of predictive programming, or do you have a really good example? Or you know. What, do you think it's hogwash? Mm-hmm. You should write to us. You can find us on social media where we are conspiracy stuff on most of them. 
Sometimes Conspiracy Stuff Show, you'll find us. You can do it. Uh, you can go to StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. You can check out every podcast we've ever recorded, some videos, all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, you can, And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. 